Hello and welcome back to the How The Fuck podcast. This week on the show, it was my absolute pleasure to chat to Benji Hayam, co-founder of the SEO and content agency Grow & Convert. In the episode, Benji walks us through the six steps he and his team take to build and execute an SEO strategy for their clients, which involves all the steps from onboarding through to finding high converting opportunities and building a library of differentiated quality content. The discussion this week centers on a case study of a healthcare company called Cognitive FX, for whom this exact strategy is now responsible for 50% of all their new business. Since working with Benji and his team, the blog has grown from zero to 250,000 visitors a month, and that's just with three articles going out each month. So if you're wanting to build a powerful revenue-generating channel by focusing on quality, well-targeted content, this episode is for you. We learn the power of investing in quality, how to build a hiring funnel that finds the best writers out there, and how Grow and Convert can justify charging 10 grand a month for three articles. SEO agencies, this is a great example to learn from. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, premium members can expect the full write-up with tons of additional help and analysis on this strategy in their inbox this week. If you don't already subscribe but want to read this week's case study, it's £17 a month to join the community and you'll also unlock all our case studies, my growing library of standard operating procedures and discounts on eBooks and courses that are coming out in the near future. Hi, Benji. Welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you on there. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Cool. So we are going to talk about one of your case studies in the kind of healthcare space, which is always an interesting space, extra difficult to kind of win, win stuff in. So I'd love to see case studies in this area. Would you have to just tell us, I guess, in a nutshell, what this company does? We'll start there. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Cognitive FX. They do treatment for concussions. And not just any type of concussion, but specifically people that suffer from post-concussion syndrome. And so it's something that if you've had multiple concussions, then you can develop uh, something called post-concussion syndrome. You can suffer from things like depression, constant headaches. There's a whole nausea. There's like a, a ton of symptoms. But a lot of people don't even realize that they have post-concussion syndrome. So you could have suffered from concussions earlier, like when you're younger, let's say you played a sport. And then you grow up and you just have these recurring symptoms. And a lot of people don't know that it can be related to concussions. Wow. Yeah, I really wonder. I mean, I guess everyone needs to go and check themselves out. right? I really wonder if, you know, how many people are walking around with something like that. I've never. A lot. Yeah, we can go into it. But we have someone on our team who actually realized that they suffered from post-concussion syndrome through interviewing the company about about concussions. And so that was really interesting. But yeah, it is a super cool company. When we first started working with them, we we flew out there and got to meet with their team. And the head doctor, I believe it was his friend's son had flown around to get different treatment for concussion and spent all sorts of money on it. And none of the different treatment centers in the country really were able to solve his problems. And so he got really into the research on this. And that's kind of how they developed their own way of treating concussions. Wow. Cool. Okay. So this is a healthcare area with an sort of innovative part of healthcare too, like a kind of their own solution to something. So, you know, it's not like there's a lot of people searching necessarily post-concussion syndrome or solutions or yeah, if it's depending on how new it is. So it's particularly difficult. And so you've got them basically from zero to about 250,000 volume a month now, which is great. 
Yeah, crazy. What other kind of headline results are in there? Yeah, I think they rank for something like 66 keywords in the number one spot. I think 180 in the top three positions. I don't even know the number on the first page, but there's a lot as well. We make up 50 plus percent of the total conversion volume for their whole business. Something that was unique about this business too, when we first started with them, they're in-person clinic. So you have to fly there. And when we initially took them on, we were kind of concerned about that because most of our businesses that we work with are SaaS businesses where anyone in the world can sign up for a product. In this case, we have to rank for keywords and then someone has to call in, fill out a consultation and then fly to the center to get treatment. And so we were just unsure how that would work for them. But yeah, this has been able to grow their business a ton since we started working with them. They expanded their facility. So they used to only have the first floor. Now they bought out the second floor. They ended up starting another business. And so yeah, it's been really cool to watch them grow. Wow, that is really cool. So 50% of their consultations now come from SEO. I'm interested to know why they reached out to you in the first place? Like, why do they think of SEO would be a good way to to grow? Yeah, in the beginning, most of their customers have come from referrals. So they were getting referrals from doctors that have actually doctors that didn't know how to solve their problem where the patient ended up finding them, went in for treatment and then went back to their doctor and and the doctor saw that they were pretty much treated. And so then the doctor started to believe in, in their service. And so they ended up getting some doctor referrals that way and then through past patients. But really, that was kind of how they grew their business. It was all kind of word word of mouth and referrals. They did some PR before. I think the person who runs the company had just been reading our blog and decided to to reach out. They had tested other different marketing agencies before, but had never really been able to get it off the ground. And yeah, we just had a call with them. Even for us too, we were unsure if we were going to work with them in the very beginning. So historically, our agency had mostly been B2B focused. We had never touched anything in the medical space. We were competing against sites like WebMD, the CDC, Healthline, like all these very heavy content-based sites. So we just didn't really know if we would be able to pull it off. And then especially with the in-person component, can we rank for keywords that would end up leading to people flying to this place and build trust through content and fly to the, the center and get treatment. We were just kind of unsure of all those things. But yeah, it ended up working out. Oh, yeah, it's great to get people to fly all that way. And also just to grow from referrals only like they must have really come across a big problem and found a really good solution to it. Like it's a good business, but the best way to grow, really. Yeah, what, I mean, what's crazy just to go a little bit more into the business so people understand what's different about them. So they run this thing called an FNCI scan. It's kind of like an M- MRI, but it looks at portions of the brain. And when you go in there, you take a scan right before you go in for treatment so they can kind of see how messed up different parts of your brain's brain is. Then they customize the treatment to focus on those parts of the brain. And then at the end of the week treatment, you go in for another scan and you can see the difference with the data, how much your brain has improved. And so I think it's a lot of that kind of stuff where you can actually provably see that you're better on top of just feeling better afterwards. But you can see the before and after where I I think most other treatments don't have anything like that. And so I think in the content that we write, that's a lot of the stuff that we talk about is 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 this kind of stuff, which I think is pretty convincing. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna ask you like how you get that into the content. So when you like started working with them, what what was your like stage one? If you start going into like, we know we're gonna create you a bunch of content, we just need to figure out what content is it gonna be, like which keywords we're gonna go after. Like how did you start kind of that first bit of like understanding what would convert? 
Yeah. So at the time, we used to fly to every single client to onboard them and go meet with their team and do a half day session with them. Now we do it all online, but it's the same thing. So every engagement starts with the customer research portion. So usually we speak to people who are on the sales side, customer success, if it's a SaaS company, customer support, if it's services. So in this case, we spoke to the doctors, the people that handled all the consultation requests. So essentially salespeople. And we tried to figure out what are the common symptoms people have? Did they play sports when they were younger? Yeah, symptoms. Uh, yeah, all the different characteristics of these people when they're coming in and initially calling in. Nice. And from there, we kind of develop a list of all these different pain points. And so it can be, so for example, we didn't even know what post-concussion syndrome was at this point. And so we didn't even realize that there is a difference between someone suffering from one concussion, who's actually not a good fit for cognitive. If you've just received one concussion, you need more acute care. And so you go get care right away. Whereas someone who's a good fit for cognitive has received multiple concussions over a long period of time and has suffered from long-term symptoms. And so that's actually a better customer type. And so we had to figure out what are the characteristics of the people that had multiple concussions? So they suffer from long-term headaches. They suffer from nausea. They suffer from their blood pressure can be off. They can suffer from depression, lack of focus. There's all these different symptoms that kind of point to someone can have this problem. So we had to learn what those symptoms are, what the characteristics are, how do these people potentially get post-concussion syndrome, and then back in from there to a keyword list that would try to attract them. And so that's, that's kind of the process that we use for every single one of our clients is talk to sales, try to figure out the commonality in all of the best customers who would be a best fit for that organization. And then from there back into what keywords we would go after. I think it's a slightly different approach because if you didn't do that customer research and you didn't really talk to those salespeople, we might have gone after like concussion. just concussion treatment or try to go after the keyword concussions, which actually really doesn't make sense for this person. And instead, we are able to focus on the specific keywords that would lead to those patients that would be a good fit for cognitive. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's so easy to skip that stage and just assume that you know, all right, you're this, you're a concussion treatment and just dive in. Yeah, it seems really easy on the surface, but there's so much nuance to their patients because you have to also think that these people have likely received treatment before for their concussions, have not able to, been able to solve it. And so even when they go read about this stuff, they somewhat come up with some skepticism because mm -hmm. they might have paid for treatment before, they might have seen other doctors and no one's been able to solve this problem. So from a content perspective, you have to be able to relate to just kind of the state of mind that those people are in and just the constant, almost like being let down. And so you have to be able to say, here's what you might have gone through in the past and here's how we're different. And on top of that, just make sure we're going after the right keywords. It sounds like a super tough kind of group of keywords to go after and win even. Yeah, but it's so important to know like the nuances of who your audience is going to be, who you're speaking to like that. Like that's how you actually get, if you empathize in the right way, how you get someone to convert and all this. So you've got this now, let's say like you've got your kind of keyword research. How do you just, how did you decide like what to write first? Did you have any kind of plan around? Was it? Yeah, we usually try to go after the keywords that we think are the highest intent. And then we do a mix of different difficulty, different types. So for example, we might go after a symptom related keyword, we might so for example, multiple concussions, if someone's searching for that, they're likely a good fit here, or concussion headaches, mm -hmm. think, again, another symptom that indicates that someone might be a good fit for their service. Yeah. And then also pair that with different things like best concussion clinics in the US. 
Mm-hmm. So if someone's looking for that, you know that they have a problem that they're looking to get solved. And so okay. we usually try to mix just the keywords that have the highest intent, highest traffic and lowest difficulty, and just come up with a mix of different types. So we like to spread our bets, not place all of them just on symptom related keywords, not place all of them on people looking for concussion clinics. In the first six months, we like to have a large mix of those. But that's basically what we're looking for. The intent is what leads all of the content strategy. And so based on everything that we learned from that customer research, what keywords would indicate that those people would be the best fit for the service? That's kind of the guiding light. And then we'll change the types of content. And that's kind of how we think through it. Nice. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So you kind of would, yeah, like the intent would be like the most important. You kind of start in this like bottom of funnel area and then work your way sort of away from it. Up. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's our whole strategy. So we coined something called pain point SEO, which essentially is just going after these high intent pain point related keywords. Again, you find that out through the customer research. And we always start with bottom of the funnel and work our way up the funnel for a few reasons. One, as an agency, we're held accountable to conversions. So we're held accountable to the same metric that the person's hiring us for. So we don't really care about traffic. At the end of the day, the businesses are going to continue working with us or fire us based on the results that we drive, which is essentially revenue. And so from a business perspective, and just any for any business, whether they're doing it in-house or in an agency, it makes sense to go after these keywords that would indicate that someone's most likely to purchase first, and then work your way up the funnel. Also, an advantage of the strategy and approach is that these keywords are often less competitive, which is kind of counterintuitive, mm-hmm. because you would think that most people would want to go after these buying keywords first. However, the strategy that most people use is going after the highest volume keywords first yeah. because they have like this idea of a funnel where you have to build awareness first, then consideration, and then convert people. But if you just think about the funnel in the opposite way, actually, there's a large group of people who are already looking for a solution, who are already educated on your topic, and you just need to show up when they're looking for a solution to their problem. And so if we just flip that funnel and say, let's go after the people that already are bought into whatever you're doing, they already have awareness on your category, and let's own those keywords first, and then work our way up the funnel to then go focus on people that need educating, we're able to drive conversions a lot faster for a lot of our clients. Definitely. I really liked your point on those kind of longer tail keywords that are more specific definitely are, yeah, they may be lower volume, but they're, you know, they're higher intent and you can really understand because they're so long, you can really understand a lot about that user, that search. For sure. You can see right in the query, the exact reason this person's searching for this. And so because of that, you're able to kind of predict what the conversion rate could be. You can identify your target audience in that group. Like like you yep. said, like concussions, yeah, maybe 10% are post-concussion people, but or about the 90%, it's like... If, if you're trying to rank for concussions versus someone searching for post-concussion syndrome treatment, you can easily see which one's going to convert higher if you know your business and your customers super well. Yeah, exactly. And significant, like to win the word concussion, I bet is... It's extremely about, difficult. Yeah, like the money you'd have to spend, I guess just to, you know, to know what a backlinks or like topical authority or these kind of things. You know, I think topical authority is actually a subject that's quite, everyone's talking about it at the moment in SEO. If you're kind of mostly focusing on that kind of bottom of funnel stuff, do you throw in the odd high volume, high, do you tackle it in that kind of way of like topics, one topic at a time, or do you just go loads of long tail? And kind we of- go loads of long tail. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely believe in the topical authority. I I don't know if I subscribe as much to you have to have some equal weighting of bottom of the funnel and top of the funnel. 
I think it's really just about showing expertise in the topic. And so for us, we can go after a lot of this bottom of the funnel stuff. And the way that we show the topical authority is by interviewing the doctors on the cutting edge research and writing about things that almost no one else is writing about around concussions. And so that that's a key part of our process. So for every single piece that we produce, we interview one of their doctors on the topic. And so we go to the client, let's say it's on multiple concussions, who's the best person to interview on this topic, we do all the SERP analysis, try to figure out what questions people are asking. And then we basically go to the client, in this case, the doctor with a series of questions, we interview them for an hour with a recorded interview, and basically write the article based on the interview. And so now we're bringing their full expertise into the article, as opposed to, let's say what most people do, which is have some freelance writer Google around on this topic, try to compile a lot of what's already written on this subject. And, and the problem with that approach is you don't end up with any new information. There's nothing that differentiates your content or your company versus everyone else out there. Because in that case, the writer is just writing the same thing that's already written online. They're also not bringing in the company's point of view into the content. And so in this case, we're able to interview the doctor who has a really unique point of view can say, hey, here's what's wrong with the way that everyone else is treating concussions and here's how we're different. And that's what's really needed to convince people that your product or service or whatever you're selling is better than anyone else is having the unique company's point of view into the content. And I think interviewing people is a key part to that process. I think that's so smart because having like done that whole like briefing, like content writing process, and also like having run it with other writers and having to pass off briefs to them, I think doing a one hour expert interview would save everyone so much time that like you get a better piece of content at the end you'd have the experts and everyone would stop writing the fluff so much time yeah like i i never really subscribed to the brief model because again even if you're in-house and you're let's say the head of marketing creating these briefs for another writer and you're even outlining a lot of it you're still missing that expertise portion because you're you're still putting the onus on the writer to go research the stuff and fill in the gaps as opposed to talking to the subject matter expert and having that person fill in the gaps. I just think when, when you're in B2B or doing something like this in the B2C space where you need to have, you need to educate people at a higher knowledge level than they come in with. So again, let's take this for an example of someone who's had concussions and you can say, oh yeah, the customer coming in might not know a lot. They're definitely not going to know as a lot about the doctor, but you also have to think that they're not beginners. They're not just researching concussions for their first time. They've yeah. likely had concussions for years. They've seen multiple doctors. They've been to multiple clinics. They're coming in with like a pretty decent knowledge level about concussions. If your writer is basically treating them like they're someone who doesn't know anything about the topic and the writing comes across as well, this person really doesn't know what they're talking about. You're not going to be able to convince that person. You need to be able to speak at a knowledge level at or much higher than the person that's reading your content in whatever it is to convince them that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, I totally agree. Like most content comes, it comes at you at the wrong level. Even for what you searched, it's pretty obvious what level you're in based on what you searched, I think. Correct. Uh, especially like, you know, everything starts with a definition or like a benefits of the thing that I'm clearly looking for. It's a bit of a mess that the kind of state of SEO right now, except for people who stand out like doing this. It's really smart. Time for a short message from me. 
Today, I'm so excited to announce the launch of my new scale package, which is available for pre-order this very second. I'm going to drop the webpage where you can learn all about it in the show notes below this episode. And if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can expect an email from me tomorrow telling you all about it. So what exactly am I talking about? Well, the scale package is my contribution to the world of SEO content operations. It has three parts. The first part is an ebook, which has two core sections to it. The first is content and keyword strategy, where you'll get answers to questions like, is SEO even right for me? What does my customer want on the search channel? What keyword should I go after and in which order? And how can I make more money from SEO? Section two of the book focuses on how to produce content at scale. I detail 12 steps that are the most important for scaling content, mapped against a timeline, each of which every agency, marketing team, or niche site owner should know about before building their content operation. Steps include creating a writer hiring funnel, building EEAT into your system, scheduling, content updates, and so much more. So I said this is a package and here's why. This isn't just an ebook, it's also an operations starter kit. You'll get my content machine dashboard that I use for tracking the flow and creation of new content. You'll also get over 12 standard operating procedures, guides, and templates that I use to communicate with writers efficiently and make sure they nail their job. I've literally sold this package for thousands of pounds before, but now it's all yours. And the final part of the package, the thing that completes the trifecta, is this also comes with an annual membership to the How The Fuck community. Community membership gives detailed real-world examples of people doing exactly what you are trying to achieve. It's a continuous source of inspiration and guidance. You can expect an entire year of newsletters, podcasts, and later this year, a chat community where you can share and receive advice. Theory and templates are concrete, but weekly motivation in the community keeps you on the path to success, and that makes all the difference. This is the package that I wish I had when scaling my own content production and creating content at scale for my clients. It would have saved me so much time and and headache and frankly would have saved me a ton of money that I waste on writers that weren't that good. And it can all be yours for less than a price of one well-written article. Pre-order this week for £249. Next week, that price will be going up. And don't forget, the link will be below this episode if you want to check that out. Thank you. Now back to the episode. I was going to ask you, how do you get experts to spend their time with you? But it sounds like if it's one hour per article, like it's not a huge undertaking. It's not a huge ask. But yeah, I mean, everyone asks us that. But in our sales process, that's one key thing that we say we need from the client is three hours a month from it doesn't sometimes it's the CEO who is the most knowledgeable on the product or their category or can just really speak at a high level comparing their company to everyone else. Sometimes it's product people. In this case, it happens to be doctors. And yeah, they're super busy, but all we ask is for three hours a month. And then on top of that, once you've been working for with a client for a year, two years, in this case, we've been working with them for four years. We've done enough of these interviews, unless it's a really obscure topic, to where now we have that expertise to be able to write this with the doctor's opinion and just have the doctor check it at the end. Yeah, that works as well. So how many articles do you produce a month for them to get three hours of, yeah, how much? Yeah, we, we do three a month. Three months. Oh, it's one hour per article. Yeah, okay. one hour per article. Yep. Cool. Wow. I can imagine one of the common objections people would be like, is like, oh, that's like too in-depth. Like, cause let's say we're talking to like SEO agency. For sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, why is this a better solution actually for them, would you say? For other agencies? Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I won't lie. This content is extremely difficult to produce. So just on our own side, 
hiring for someone who can write like this is extremely challenging. I would say that's been our biggest bottleneck as an agency since the very beginning. We've had more demand than we can handle operationally because on the operations side, producing this kind of content is really, really, really difficult. So if you just think about the process end to end, we have to come up with a topic, do the SERP analysis and try to figure out what we need to write about and how to differentiate ourselves in the SERP. Then do an interview. We, we actually have another process. There's a questionnaire where the questionnaire just tries to ask questions about how we differentiate our content against everything else in the SERP, what's the main intent of the SERP, all that kind of stuff. Then it goes to the interview, then it goes to outlining, then it goes to draft, then it goes to editing on the client side. Yeah, so it's a really thorough process and it's really difficult to do. Why other agencies should do it this way? It does produce just way better results. If I look at the content that most people produce on the SEO side, it's trying to take shortcuts and it's trying to do content for as cheaply as possible instead of having the focus switch, which is how do I produce the best content possible and focus on quality? So from a cost perspective, yeah, it's not cheap in terms of what we pay writers to do this and strategists on our agency and even the cost of our own service. We charge 10000 a month to do this for three articles a month. But again, we're not selling the articles as much as we're selling the results. We don't go in and say, here's the cost per article. We say, how many keywords do you want to rank for? And if you were to rank for these, how much business would that drive for you? That's what you're buying from us. So yeah, I will say it's harder to pull off. It is more expensive, but I think other SEO agencies should use this process because it produces better content, especially right now. I feel like we're in this place where everyone's talking about AI tools and how to produce content cheaper, how to produce it faster. To me, that's like the wrong things to even be thinking about because that's not solving the problem. It's making the SEO agency's job easier and trying to take shortcuts. But again, if Google's goal is to serve up the most relevant content, then like all these conversations about how to do it cheaper and faster and all that kind of stuff, they're not even relevant because it kind of goes against everything that you need to do to rank. Like if, if you're trying to take shortcuts and have AI write about multiple concussions or have some writer who doesn't even know about concussions write about this kind of stuff, like how are you supposed to rank or like do anything well here? It's a tricky one, isn't it? I completely agree with everything you say. I think the objection I would have, well, my, I think at least might say like my clients would have is... Sure. They don't want to spend that much for an article, but I know that they're not thinking long-term about that result. If you can guarantee conversions, et cetera, like. Yeah. So my pushback would then be just, maybe that's not the right client though, is to have, so, I mean, we're very selective on choosing clients that are aligned with long-term thinking and focused on the, the right type of metrics. Like they care more about conversions than they do about the cost per article. I, I hear you, though, because there's definitely been tons of prospects that have come to us and they're like, you say your price and they're like, what? We're not spending that much money. But yeah, I mean, in order to do it well, I mean, even if you were to compare this to in-house. So if you compare an agency to an in-house person, it's rare that you're, you're going to have one content marketing manager, let's say even paying 50 to 70,000, then you need an editor, you need someone who's promoting the content, you need someone who's focused on SEO. So like you actually like add up all the costs of what it would take to build a team in house, it ends up being around the same, if not more. And so I think the people that focus on the article cost, it's usually a function of they haven't done content marketing themselves before. And so the first problem that they're trying to solve for is I have all these topics I want to write about, I just need a writer to do this. And they don't realize 
all the other things that you need to be successful doing content. So they don't realize the strategy. They don't realize the editing component. They don't realize the link building or however you're going to promote the content. And so, yeah, I think that's how we get around it is, is typically our clients have attempted this on their own before and realized how difficult it is and then go search for a better solution. Yeah, I agree. I can imagine. It's a good subject, actually. It's like quite a complicated one, but I agree that I think it's worth having a bunch of content that you're like proud of but not that's kind of hidden and you kind of hope people aren't going to see but you've got traffic kind of yes. thing yeah well this stuff represents your brand a lot of people aren't comfortable just publishing like seo posts and i say seo posts just like the, the standard process like SEO choose content. some keyword yeah choose yeah. some keyword have some random writer write about it and then yeah they're not proud of it Whereas here, we can go after some of these keywords, but still, if you actually read the article, it doesn't feel like an SEO post. It, it still goes very in-depth. We weave in stories and examples and all that kind of stuff into the content itself. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff that I think as someone who's kind of gone kind of newly into being like freelance SEO and stuff, like being in-house, I've always cared so much about the content, the examples, stories, like you, you're really deep in the like, customer knowledge and all of this like that's the kind of content we would create but as soon as you go on the like yeah as soon as you see what people in seo agencies are normally creating it's like it's way more like surface level it's about being you know so it's it's, yeah i i get it yeah i mean you you can be from a business perspective you can be selfish because i think you can charge a lot for just mediocre work because there's so many seos just kind of producing content getting decent results and charging a lot for their service and and i think from an agency perspective yeah you you typically are trying to lower your costs do things faster all that kind of stuff but i think if you just kind of take the opposite approach and that approach can work in the short term and there's companies that can make a lot of money very quickly but i think if you're going to last in this space i think you need to take the opposite approach and just think about the quality over the long term. It's like, how can I produce the best content? How can I produce the best results? And even if it's harder, and even if it costs more in the short term, I think you have a more lasting business that way. Because because then you're truly differentiating yourself and, than everyone else in this space. Yeah, I definitely agree. My favorite thing really to do is to know that they have really good content writers in-house or people they already trust. And then just, for sure, I do the SEO layer. For sure. And makes it, you know, give them those kind of topics that are going to cover and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's... Um, I mean, that's a great way to do it too. Take away a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe like last couple of questions. So do you use outsourced writers or do you always hire in-house? Like how do you... So they're all freelance. All freelance. But they're all part of our team. So there's a long testing process that we go through. And so in terms of hiring, what it looks like is we have an application on our site that asks for a few sample pieces. and then we have like a quick prompt that just kind of assesses writing ability in the application itself. From there, we have a whole application of people. And then we're looking for the samples that kind of match what we're looking for at this stage. And we'll flag those people and then they'll go through a paid test project. So then everyone has to do a writing sample that's paid. And then from there, we try to give one round of feedback if it wasn't good to begin with. And if they're not able to make it better on that round of feedback, 
then we'll kind of part ways. If they are, then they take a shot on a real account and then they'll write one piece on a real account. And then we'll we'll try to get them to one piece on one account, one piece on another account. So try to test them out on multiple accounts, see if they're good in different subject matters too. And only then will we bring them on as more of like a full-time writer. And so it's a very rigorous process. And again, this is the biggest bottleneck of our whole agency because it's a long process to find these people and, and make sure they're good. And I think if there's been one learning just as an agency is just how rigorous you need to be on the hiring front. I think earlier in our agency, we didn't have really a process around hiring writers. And you kind of see one writing sample and think this person might be good based on something that they've written past. But yeah, from a portfolio be. piece, you don't know who it's been edited by, if they wrote the whole thing and all that kind of stuff. So really testing them with a real project has helped us find better and better writers over time. Did, yeah. I just think that's is such a low barrier to entry to calling yourself like a writer. And it makes sense, like, especially when people are, you know, charging $50 or something for an article, then there's like this huge range of difference. It's so hard. I can understand why it's the biggest bottleneck. And it's definitely something I'm finding like massively challenging at the moment. Like the layer of edit that I'm having to apply currently is like... Uh, yeah, all of this has been to try to solve the editing problem and have people kind of be self-sufficient. But yeah, I mean, we still do a lot of editing for our pieces. So just in terms of our organizational setup, we have a strategist who runs the strategy on the account, knows the, the ins and outs of the account. That person can either also write their own content. So everyone in our organization actually started as a writer. Every single one person went through our writing process. And then there's two tracks. They can choose to go continue down the writing track and they only want to write. That's their skill set. That's what they're best at. Or they can choose to then be a strategist, which is also managing the client, managing the content strategy. So choosing the keywords, doing the SERP analysis, all that kind of stuff. And then they can also write their own pieces or outsource to another writer on our team. So that makes yeah. Sense. What would you say is like, I mean, do you have very clear guidelines for your writers though? What's like the number one thing that has helped them get the kind of quality that you expect up I don't think it's giving them something. I think it's more vetting for, it's something that we call clarity of thought. Like how clear is the writing? Oftentimes in blog writing, you see a lot of people try to add fluff or like, what do, what do people call it? Like their own flair to their, their writing. And that's something that we don't look for because in B2B writing, it, it's usually, it, it's how can you communicate this concept the best to the customer. You don't need to add all this fluffiness or like large sentences, like all the things that people typically look for. It's really yeah. how well can you communicate this idea succinctly and, and is it clear to the reader? And so when we're reviewing applications, that's what we're looking for is clarity of thought. Do the arguments make sense? Is it super clear? Even just a lot of people would kind of discount some writers for it being like short. And that's actually something that's good for us. It, like we'll look for just really concise sentences that communicates things clearly. Funny, and I think people do forget that in B2B. When people are searching for something in B2B, they're trying to get something done. They're trying to understand something. They need to like trust that writing and they need to actually be able to do it. Like they need the actionability. And, and so the clarity and like actually getting to the point is we're not reading a fiction book where it's all about the scene and everything that's happening yeah. around it it's like no you're trying to solve a problem and so how can you communicate quickly and fast and make it really compelling yeah definitely i guess final question like how has that applied to healthcare like what's been your biggest learning from going sort of from b2b focused to being a working with a b2c healthcare client yeah, I think the biggest learning is it's very similar in terms of a strategy perspective. So again, focus on these pain points, 
focus on these bottom of the funnel keywords, working your way up. I think the difference in this space is just the keyword volumes are much higher. From a competitive standpoint, I think the learning has been, yeah, we can compete with all of the big names. So if you look for a lot of the keywords that we rank for, we're outranking the WebMDs, we're outranking the CDCs, we're outranking Healthline, we're outranking like a lot of these big players whose entire job is it is to write content. The learning is because we're writing content that's more specific to every single query. So you can imagine how, let's say, Healthline or WebMD writes a lot of this content. They might have some contract doctor who maybe has some experience in concussions or maybe doesn't even have this, but can generally write about this topic. We're writing content that's way more specific to each query. So if we're talking about multiple concussions, we're talking to an expert on this topic who can talk about all the different nuances, whereas... A lot of these content-based sites, again, they kind of take the same approach as every other site where they don't interview a specialist on this topic. They're just kind of writing around the topic generally. And so I would say that the biggest learning here is if you're more specific in the topic, so if you're going after these long-tail type topics, and then you can also provide better expertise on the topic, you can outrank a lot of sites that you would not have thought you would be able to outrank. And we've seen this beyond just this cognitive FX example. Like we've seen this with smaller SaaS companies going up against HubSpots or large SaaS companies like that in the category. But because we're able to provide better advice on the topic or better expertise, even if the site has a lower domain authority, like I think the domain rating of cognitive, I can show just to kind of end it off here, just some stats from where we were at in the very beginning. But yeah, like when we first started with Cognitive, they had a domain rating of 24 on Ahrefs and look, 56 referring domains. That's literally where we started. And so this is why in the very beginning when I said, we didn't know if we were going to be able to help this company. Yeah, we truly didn't know if we were going to be able to help them because you look at these metrics and then you see the competition that you're going up against and you're like, this is a huge uphill battle. But we were able to rank very quickly. Like this case study, I'll jump around a little bit, but you can see we started with them in 2019. I think 14 months in, we were at 50,000 organic visitors. And so, and then now fast forward to today, from a domain rating perspective, if you just compare us to a lot of the sites that we're ranking against, Again, not that high. We're at 48. If you're looking at like the WebMDs and all those, you're probably 70, 80, 90 plus. And so I think a big learning here has been domain rating isn't everything. It's truly the expertise on the topic. It's writing something specific to each individual query. And so another thing that we do very differently than I think a lot of people is if we look up a query in Google and there's two synonyms, like they're very related topics. A lot of people just try to create one post to rank for both of those. Mm -hmm. If we see that there's enough variance in the SERPs and there's different pages showing, that indicates that we should write a completely unique article on this topic. And so we've done that for a lot of these. But again, it just shows, I think, Google or whoever's reading this, that there's very specific expertise given for each query. And I think that really helps the rankings as well. And so... I've seen that yeah. before as well, where they, Google doesn't quite catch that it's a synonym and you can really yep. use it. Yeah. Yeah. No one's written about one synonym, but everyone's written about the other one kind of thing. For this podcast, I interview like a lot of niche blogs. Yep. Like, I like WebMD in the healthcare space, but like you know, one's like a gaming only retro gaming products or one's like yep. about EU citizenship. And I think the way like that they always talk about the fact that because they're more niche, because they're more specific, that's why they're beating all these big companies because they have like a topical authority on a very specific niche. And it sounds very 
relevant to, I think most SaaS companies or like healthcare companies aren't seeing it in that way that they, they can own their niche the same way as if they had just built a niche site for that. I love that you said that learning. I completely agree. So mm. I think it comes back to even just thinking through the positioning and differentiation of your product. So let's say, move away from the cognitive example for a second. If you're a SaaS business, let's say even competing in accounting, or something like that, where there's super highly competitive space. Well, to found an accounting SaaS product, you probably notice something about all the other products that didn't do something well, or you have an approach that is slightly different than the way that everyone else is approaching that. You need to think through how you're positioned differently and what the differentiators are so that all of the uniqueness about your product and your company, or even how you're thinking about the category can come through in your content. And so even if you're in a highly competitive category, it's that uniqueness being brought through and being shared in the expertise in all of your content that gives you a leg up in competing against all these larger companies. Yeah. And so, yeah, I completely agree. We, I mean, we've seen it time and time again where we're trying to build a company's site for a new company competing against a large incumbent in the category. And we're still able to outrank a lot of those just because the focus is on their differentiation and how they're thinking about this topic. So it goes from the category all the way down to the specific keyword and the topic differently than everyone else. And because, again, I think through our process of interviewing people and getting their expertise into the content, you're able to see it outrank, even despite all these other metrics that would tell you you have no chance of competing. Because I think a lot of people put a lot too much weight on just domain rating or just the number of referring domains to your overall domain. And don't put enough weighting on the expertise that's going into your content and how it's differentiated from everything else in the SERPs. And because most people are focusing on just producing content in that same way, where hire a writer, kind of copy everything else that's written on the same topic and then publish it, your content truly stands out if you're taking this opposite approach. And I think that's what's been able to help us achieve great results for a lot of different clients. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. I think it's probably a good place to end as well. Like the bombshell point. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That's been great hearing from you. Yeah. What an amazing case study. So there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed it, we have so much more content for you over at the How The Fuck website. Not only do we have like 30 plus strategy teardowns explaining the secrets of explosive SEO growth stories like monday.com, Hotjar, Typeform, SurveyMonkey, and a ton of niche sites, uh, all from some of the most intelligent SEOs on the planet who've really been there and done it. Um, But we now also have a growing library of content operations templates and other tips, tricks, and strategy guides to help you scale search fast. Join the club. We're all on a mission to do it. Head over to thefuck.com. That's T-H-F-X ck.com to explore. Thank you.